Man, what a great day. We couldn't right now, it'll be a great day at church, but um, <laughs> I got a really big announcement for you today. And so uh, I posted online about it, kind of late actually, maybe you didn't see it, but we're, we have a really big announcement today. Huge announcement today. It's gonna be a defining moment in the history of our church. This is something that our leadership team and staff have been praying about, working on, discerning, thinking about for over a year now, for over a year, well over a year, since January 2021. And honestly, I'm so excited that it's finally time to talk about it. It's been hard to, to hold it in. And so I'm just gonna put, you know, rip the Band-Aid off and tell you now what it is, and then we're gonna talk about it the rest of our time together. And so here it is. Coming up on July 3rd, that is four weeks from today, July 3rd, 2022, we are going to change the name of our church. Wow. Yes, some people are shocked. Um, I hope nobody uh, came in fresh off of getting a resonance tattoo uh, this past week. <laughs> Check out my new tattoo. It's okay. No regrets, right? Just cover it up with the new one. It'll be fine. <laughs> I, want, I, want you, I want to obviously talk about this journey of how we came to this decision. This is not something we've taken lightly or are doing flippantly. Um, and as I said, we've been talking about, praying about, discerning this for over a year now. And the Lord has shown us it is definitely time uh, to do this and make this transition. There's so much significance to it. It was God's idea, <laughs> uh, as we'll talk about here, here in a bit. And obviously, I want to share some of the journey and some of the story about why we would even want to change our name. You might be wondering, why would you want to change your name? You might not be aware that we serve a God who is a name-changing God. All throughout Scripture, He changes people's names, and it had profound significance. In fact, uh, in the book of Revelation, it says, whoever overcomes makes it to heaven. You're going to get a white stone with a new name written on it that is known only to you and God. All right, so total redemption for every person that totally hated their name growing up, all right? I didn't like my name growing up. There was like three other errands in my class and every time the teacher said her name, it's like, we all were like, what? It's like, oh, I'm not a snowflake. I'm not special, right? And I was like, man, you know, I wish I was named Jason or Kyle or Cody, you know, one of those cool names back in the 90s. And uh, so God's a name-changing God, and there's profound significance every time he does it in Scripture. And I felt led to, to talk about this journey uh, by preaching through this, one of the most significant name-change stories in all of Scripture in Genesis chapter 32, where God changes the name of a guy named Jacob to Israel. And I want you to think about, before we dive in, how significant this name change was, that there was literally a man on the earth some 2,000 before, years before Jesus lived whose name was Jacob. And he had a wrestling match with God, prophet, prophetic act, prophetic act. And then God changed his name. So the prophetic act had meaning. So he'd never forget it. And then, and then God changed his name to Israel. And think about the significance of this. That was 2,000 years before Jesus. That was about 4,000 years ago. And it was such a significant name change that today in our generation, there's still a nation on the earth, an ethnic group of people that bear the new name of Jacob, which is Israel. In fact, it's even more significant than that because Paul says in scripture that we as Christians are spiritual Israel. We are God's people. And so 
It's so incredibly significant. And I want to talk to you about our name change story from this story. And the title of my message today is What's in a Name? What's in a Name? What's in a Name? Why is this so important? And so I want to dive into Genesis 32, but before we get there, I got to set it up for you because it's this weird story that happens one night, a pivotal moment in Jacob's life, but it, it is in the context of a much larger spiritual journey that he is on. And so the context is Jacob is a, a twin. He has a brother named Esau. They're the sons of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, who is scripture calls him the father of faith, right? When, uh, they were born, Esau was born first, and it said uh, when he came out, um, Jacob had his hand on his foot, like he was grabbing his heel, and his parents laughed, and were like, like if you could imagine that, how many, like, look at this, the second baby's holding on to the first, and they were, they were joking about he's a trickster because he's trying to pull his brother back in so he can get out and be the firstborn because the firstborn in their culture would be the leader of the family. He'd receive the birthright, the blessing, um, kind of inherit the family farm as they would and, and be the leader and, and kind of get the most inheritance, if you will, and have leadership, managerial responsibility. And so being firstborn was very important. And so they're like, look at this trickster. He's trying to be firstborn. He's trying to pull his brother back. And so... Uh, He's like a deceiver. And then they made, you know, probably one of the hugest parenting mistakes you could make when a child's born is they named him a word curse. <laughs> He's a little deceiver. Hey, that's, it's got a ring to it. Let's call him that little deceiver, 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 deceiver. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That was his name. The name Jacob meant deceiver. You know, people tend to become what you believe about them. So words are very powerful. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So parents, be very careful what you call your kids, even those joking around things, those joking around nicknames. If they're negative, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building one another up. And so they didn't know that. That's New Testament. It hadn't been written yet, right? So we'll give them grace. They named him Jacob, which means deceiver. And he lives into that name. Um, he grows up. It was actually generational sin, generational curse on their family. His mom was a deceiver. Her brother, Laban's a deceiver, just runs in the family. She put him up to it. Deceive your father and your brother, steal the birthright and the blessing, because God told us the older's going to serve the younger and all this stuff. <sighs> Temptation to do God's will your way and your flesh, not according to the spirit. And so he fails that test. He listens to his mom. He deceives his father and brother. He steals the birthright and blessing, causes devastation in his family. He didn't know the song we sang earlier. He's not finished with me yet. He thought it was totally over. His brother wanted to murder him, literally. And because his brother wanted to murder him, he had to flee. And he literally left the entire country. He left the land of Canaan at that time, Israel, modern day, went up to the north, very, very far north in ancient Mesopotamia, um, modern day Iraq-ish. And he's fleeing the whole country to get away from his brother. And he gets up there and he meets his uncle and uh, he ends up getting deceived by his uncle. He is in love with uh, one of his uncle's daughters and he, he marries, he gets tricked into marrying the wrong sister, all right? Don't have time to explain that. I'll just say they didn't have lights on for the wedding night. So he didn't know what was happening. He woke up the next day. This isn't, it says he married Leah, whose eyes were lazy, all right? Or her eyes were weak, I'm sorry. Her eyes were weak, meaning she wasn't pretty. She probably had lazy eyes. That's, that's literally what it means. Lazy eye Leah, 
And he wakes up and he's like, this is not Rachel, the beautiful sister that I was in love with. And he gets upset and he talks to his uncle and he's like, that's all right, I'll give her to you as well. And, and you can marry both my daughters, you know. And, and then he decides to do that for another seven years. Works seven years for each six sister. That was part of, the, part of the deal. But he got tricked into it. Really jacked up, right? By the way, when the Bible records things, it doesn't necessarily condone them. Can we just say that? The Bible records polygamy, it doesn't condone it, right? When God speaks about polygamy in scripture, he condemns it, okay? Just throwing that out there. And so God's gracious. He works with broken, sinful people. Anyways, that's Jacob's life. You wanna talk about a dysfunctional family. His brother wants to murder him. He marries two sisters. They, get, they hate each other. They get into a competition trying to see who can have more babies. I mean, you think your family's dysfunctional. Jacob's family put the fun in dysfunctional, Okay? messed up. And so it's an encouragement. I don't care how messed up your family is, how messed up your life is. God can use you. God can save you out of it. You can become a person of integrity. Stop the generational curses that run in your family. It ran in the family till it ran into you. That's the hope that you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Jacob, this is his life for 20 years. And it's interesting. I, I ran into a verse this week that I've never noticed before. Um, when he's leaving Israel to go back to where his family started out, it says in Genesis 28.10, Jacob left Beersheba, which is in Israel, and set out for Haran. Set out for Haran. Now that jumped out at me and I went, wait a second, I recognize that name. That is the name of the city where his great grandfather started out. That's where, that'd be like us in America saying, oh, I'm of Scottish heritage, you know? But then my ancestors came over from Scotland. This Haran place in ancient Mesopotamia is where his family was from. His great grandfather settled there. Now, some of you are thinking I made a mistake and you're like, no, it was his grandfather, Abraham. I'm not talking about Abraham. I'm talking about Abraham's father, Terah. And it's really interesting. We know a lot about Abraham. He started out in, actually he started out in Ur with his dad, went to Haran. And then God called Abraham from Haran to the promised land. And Genesis 12, that famous story where God calls Abram and he says, if you go to the land, I will show you and I'll bless you and I'll make you a blessing. In fact, all nations will be blessed through you. And so he follows God on a journey into the unknown. I mean, that is the faith journey right there, walking with Jesus, even for us today. And so that was Abraham. But Abraham was not the first one in the family who wanted to go to uh, Canaan. It was Terah, his father. And we don't know why, but it says in Genesis 11 that that Terah started out in, in uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, where they were all originally from. They went to Haran, which was about halfway on the journey. And then we don't know why, but uh, Terah settled there. It says this, Genesis 11, 31, 32. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran. That's a different Haran with one R. And his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, which is the promised land of God. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Look at your neighbor and tell them they settled in Haran. Look at your other neighbor and tell him it was halfway. Verse 32, Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. You know what Haran is? It is the land of halfway there. 
only halfway to where God is calling you. And Terah was trying to get to the fullness of the promised land, but he settled for less than God's best. He settled for halfway there. Do you know what the name Terah means? It means parched. It means desert. The promised land was a good and beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. He'd probably heard the reputation. That's why he wanted to get there, but he settled for less. Why? Probably because the journey was hard. Probably because it was long. Probably because it was difficult. So we're gonna settle halfway. And this is what his, aunt, his descendants did some 400 years later. God was calling them out of slavery in Egypt to the same promised land. And they got into a wilderness, a desert place, and they got discouraged and they realized, oh, we have to fight for the promised land. Man, this journey is difficult. And they settled too. And they spent 40 years in that desert wasteland. And many of them, like Terah, it says he died in Haran. He died in the place of halfway there where he had settled. And I'm telling you, many Christians settle for less than God's best, settle for less than God's full inheritance in Christ. And they get stuck and they stay in this wilderness place and they complain and they complain about how hard it is. And God's up there going, I've been trying to get you out of there. Some of y'all for 20, 30, 40 years, I'm not the one holding you back. It's your unbelief. It says they died in the wilderness because of unbelief. Why? There's giants in the promised land. Oh, we're gonna have to fight for the promised land? We're gonna have to fight for what God has for us? Yes. It's a co-laboring with Christ. He calls you to do something and he's like, just show up and do it. I'll do the rest. There's giants there. Just show up and face the giants. I'll take them out for you. But they were so scared and they, they didn't trust God. They didn't believe that, it would, that he would move. They thought it all depended on them, unbelief. And so in their fear and unbelief, they stayed and they died in the land of Haran, the land of halfway there, the land where they settled. They settled for less. Let me tell you something about the church that you wandered into today. We are not a church of settlers. We are a church of pioneers. It's a pioneering church. And in every generation, God is looking to do something new on the earth. But he needs a pioneering people of faith who are willing to go and walk and work and pray and fight and believe and trust and hope and love to see God move powerfully in their generation. Why? Because every generation, people are born in sin and bondage. And God needs pioneering people of faith to bring freedom. And so... Terah settled, but God called Abram, his son, to finish what his father's generation had started. And and Abraham went the distance. In fact, Abram and Sarai got their names changed to Abraham and Sarah, which was very important and significant for their journey. And so here's Jacob, interestingly, in the promised land, but now he's got to flee. And when he flees, he goes back to Haran, which is where it all started. And that's a word for some people in here today. Some of you feel like you've taken some big steps back lately in your faith. And I just want to encourage you. Sometimes you got to take a step back in order to move forward. Sometimes you have to discover where you came from in order to know where you're going. And so he goes back to Haran. He meets his uncle. He marries into this family. And it's, it's basically 20 years of, of difficulty and 
hardship. After 14 years of difficulty, hardship, working for his deceptive uncle, married to these sisters, having kids. He's having kids and all that, but he's not, he's not making uh, a dime, really. He's not building uh, an inheritance for his own children. And he gets frustrated. So after 14 years, he goes to his uncle. He's like, I- I'm leaving, okay? Give me what's mine. I'm, I'm heading out. I'm going back to where I'm from. I'm going back to the promised land. And Laban begs him to stay. And man, he says this, so interesting. He says, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Some of you, God calls, he will call out of a relationship, out of a church family, maybe out of a job. And you know, it's time to go. And the people around you don't want you to go. Why? Because they know they're blessed because of you. But when God says it's time to go, it's time to go. Right. And so the interesting part is Jacob's frustrated. He wants to go, but God hasn't given him the okay yet. God hasn't released him. And so he stays and God gives him a game plan for staying. And in that game plan, uh, it has to do with his job. And over the next six years of staying when he wanted to leave, God blesses him immensely. And it's during that time that he actually becomes extremely wealthy. And at the end of that six years of staying when he wanted to leave, um, God also blesses him and gives him the desire of his heart and tells him, (laughs) It's time to go. You can go back now to where your family's from, to the promised land. And I just want to, I just want to tell you that's a word for somebody today. His boss, his uncle, the man he was under in authority was dishonorable. Not a good boss, not a good person, was mistreating him. He wanted to leave naturally as we all would. But God told him to stay just a little longer. Can you imagine staying a little longer and that little longer is six more years? And after six years... During that six years, he's honoring the person who was dishonoring him for six years. He's being faithful to a person who is not faithful to him for six years. And that's the time when God honored him and made him wealthy, blessed him. God doesn't judge you by how other people treat you. He judges you by how you respond and how you treat them. You don't prove yourself to be a person of honor by other people honoring you. You prove yourself to be a person of honor by you othering, honoring other people. And it, God says, those who honor me, I will honor. God wants you to honor people, all people, no matter how they treat you. And so when you honor people, no matter how they're treating you, God says, you've, you've just been marked by heaven for blessing, honor, and favor. And so I'm just going to tell you, it's a word for somebody today. There's a blessing when all you want to do is leave, but God tells you to stay. And when you choose to stay and do the right thing and be faithful, even when it's hard, even when you've been mistreated, even when they don't deserve it, when you stay and stay faithful and serve with a willing heart, with a good attitude, when you finish well, that is the precise time God unleashes his blessing in your life that is greater than you can ask or imagine. And so after six years, he's wealthy, God blesses him, and God says, okay, I release you. It's time to go back after 20 years total. So he starts this journey back and he gets to this place. It's the last stop before the promised land. It's this little creek called the Jabbok, which is shooting off the Jordan. And he's gonna cross that little creek and then he's gonna cross the Jordan. So this is the last stop before he enters into where God's calling him to. Genesis 32, this is where we pick it up, 22 through 30, 31 says this. That night on this journey, 
But Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Such a strange story. A man shows up and wrestles with him. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched or cast out of socket, hip out of joint, as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Isn't that interesting? You want a blessing? What's your name? Jacob, he answered, deceiver, trickster. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. He once blessed. God says, I'm changing your name. And that's a profound blessing. Then Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. And he was saying, this isn't about me. This is about you. And you know who I am. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping (laughs) because of his hip. So Jacob is on a journey and on a defining, at a defining moment on this journey, at a point where he's crossing from the place where those before him had settled for less, Haran, to the place God was calling him to, the promised land of God's best, God changes his name. Why? Because you can't operate as the old man in the new land. You can't think like a captive in the land of freedom. You can't live like an orphan in the land of your inheritance. God is like, I'm trying to bless you. And I am gonna, I have blessings in store for you in this new land. It's a spacious land I'm bringing you into, but you've gotta change the way you think. You've gotta start trusting me. Because if you think like a captive in a free land, you'll still be in captivity. The jail door is wide open and you will sit there and you'll never get up and you'll never walk out. You've got to change how you think and it starts with changing how you think about who you are, your identity, your identity. God has a true identity for you to live out of and it's an identity that he chose for you, man. What a message for the first Sunday of a month that our culture calls Pride Month. Let me say it again. God has an identity for you. True identity. And you didn't get to choose it. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He chose your gender. Jesus taught that there is a sexuality that goes with your gender morally. Matthew 19, they asked him about marriage. And he said, haven't you read? And that was an insult. Haven't you read the Bible? Don't you know this already? He said to Pharisees who knew the Bible better than you and I did, had the first five books memorized. 
had a doctorate degree in Bible. Haven't you read the Bible? Why, why is this so difficult? And then he says this. In the beginning, God made them male and female. And listen, for this reason, God's design in gender. A man, the word in Greek means biological male, shall leave his father, biological male word in Greek, and his mother, biological female, and be united to his wife, biological female, and the two, just two, one man, one wife, one male, one female, will be united in marriage. They'll become one flesh. That was Jesus saying the parts biologically fit together. I'm not going to illustrate that with my hands, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And scripture says marriage must be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Why by all? Why not just the church? Why not just Christians? Don't judge me with your Christianity because God's word is true no matter what. And marriage is the basis of family and family is the basis of community and community is the basis of society. And so where, where family breaks down, society breaks down. And where marriage breaks down, family breaks down. And so when we dishonor marriage as God designed it, your life will not be blessed. Your family won't be blessed. Your community, if enough people do that, won't be blessed. And if a whole culture is, is buying into these lies, that culture is not going to be blessed. In fact, it will break down. That's truth. And we're seeing that breakdown. And I'm going to talk about this truthfully without judgment. This is, I'm just speaking truth. Where does pride lead? Pride comes before the fall, but God gives grace to the humble. A Christian should never celebrate Pride Month. They should never say to all my LGBT friends, happy Pride Month. Why? Because you're, you're celebrating their stronghold. People don't get free when you coddle their stronghold or comfort their stronghold. You can comfort a person's spirit. Man, I understand you don't know. You didn't grow up in a church. You don't understand. You're confused. I understand. Oh, man, I, oh, I, I know how you must struggle with these, these desires that aren't, that aren't good, that aren't godly. I struggle with those too. They're just different, right? I, oh, I can have compassion for your spirit. I can comfort your spirit, but I can't comfort your stronghold. Why? Because then you'll stay in it. I'm called as a preacher of the gospel to set the captives free. So we, we have to be compassionate towards people who think differently love them, but man, we have to speak truth to them. We have to, or they'll never be free. And we'll invite, we'll say, well, we're loving and come into our church and our churches will be like jail cells with the door open and they'll come in and they'll sit in there and that's what Christianity will be for them. It'll just be a, a jail cell where they get promised heaven, but they'll sit in that cell the rest of their lives. We've got to preach truth. And this is why it's so bad. It's not, that's not even the, the, the root of it. The root of it is moral relativism. Moral relativism is the individual is the determiner of truth, not just capital T, truth. So when everybody looks and says, you're a biological male, but you want to be a female, you say you are a female, that's, sorry, that's just not true. When we stop saying that, and when we say, you want to be a male, but you're female, okay, okay. Oh, which pronouns did you want? Oh, sorry. Oh, I just didn't know. Oh, you're mad at me because I used the wrong one. And, well, you look like this. Oh, sorry. Okay, I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. God's not a good God of confusion. He's a God of order, right? So listen, here's what moral relativism does. The individual is the determiner of truth. Here's, here's where this has progressed to. 
This doesn't have to do with sexuality, but here's where we are. There are children in your schools right now who are identifying as animals. They call them furries. Some schools, even somewhat locally, are putting litter boxes in the bathrooms for children who believe they're an animal, who say, I identify as a puppy. Actually, they don't say it. They go, and their friends go, they identify as a puppy. Why is that? Because the culture is saying the individual is the determiner of truth. The individual is God. It's the original deception of Genesis. Chapter three, the devil. He didn't say worship me. He said, oh no, you can be your own God. You can determine right and wrong. So when we give up absolute truth, uh, hello, they say follow the science, use the science, right? Let's use science then. You're a biological male, you're a biological female. When we give up truth, moral relativism leads into chaos and breakdown of common sense. And we're there. We are there. And, and, and redeeming a culture starts with redeeming the church. Starts with revival in the church. If the church doesn't believe truth, we won't be salt and light. There will be no transformation. And by the way, I don't care about saving America or a culture. I only, if I ever say words like that, it's only because those things constitute people. Yeah. Our culture's full of people who are headed to hell America's full of people headed to hell and a lot of churches are going, it's okay. Jeremiah 29, 11, he made you that way. My Bible says I was sinful from the time I was conceived and and the whole journey of our lives is to discover that and realize God loves us so much. He's not gonna leave us in that. He's provided a way out. His name is Jesus. To repent of our sins, to repent of... Anything I believe that is not God and and come under the lordship of Jesus. That's Christianity. And then to live your life in submission to him, not doing what you want to do, doing what he wants you to do. True freedom comes from surrendering yourself to be in alignment with who God created you to be. That's where true joy is found, true peace is found, true fulfillment are found. And yes, I'm talking about gender. Yes, I'm talking about your sexuality, but I'm also talking about your spirituality, your calling, your giftedness, the role you're meant to play in his body, the church, the plans he has for you, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. They're not your plans. You, oh, you, you've got to discover God's plan for your life, God's dream for your life. Your, the culture will tell you and pride culture will tell you, follow your heart. And I'm telling you, scripture says your heart is deceptive and wicked. It'll lead you astray. This is what scripture says. Your heart will deceive you into having desires that you think you want. And they're like a siren song and you'll shipwreck your life against their shore. God is good. He loves you. And his plans and his dream for your life are the best thing you could ever walk into or, or go after. So I say to you, don't follow your heart. Follow God's heart. Don't chase your dreams. Chase God's dream for your life. Don't make your own plans. Discover God's plan for your life and go after it. And so here's Jacob on this journey. He's chasing God's dream for his life. He made a whole lot of mistakes along the way. But praise God, Romans 8, 28 is still true. Even before it was written, because it's a reality. He's a redeeming God, right? And so God changes his name as he's heading into 
this new season, the fullness really, to fully take his full inheritance, what God had prepared for him. Guys, our church has been on a journey since the day we started. And I'm gonna be honest with you, when we first started, we didn't know who we were. Do you wanna know what I told our original core team? There's eight of us sitting in a living room. And, and they tell you in church planning, you know, cast the vision, you know, tell them, tell them everything, you know, you know, it's like they, they make it like franchising, you know, figure it all out on your, by your own, uh, you know, on your own by yourself, then, then get up and train all these people and, and just, just, just build the building and, and have the people in position. And then, and then, and then, and then tell them how it is. And this is what we're going to do. And we're going to go conquer these mountains. This is how it is, who we are. That's what they, that's what they say. But man, church planning is not franchising. Church planning is like farming. And so that day one, I had a seed. And I said, we're going we're gonna to start a church. And here it is. Hey, here's the vision. Look at the seed. They're like, what is it? Like, what's it going to grow into? I'm like, I- I'm not real sure. <laughs> it's just the seed God gave me. Here we are. And so when we started church, instead of having a big grand opening and like the franchise, woo, it's amazing. Look at the building. Look at the people. Ah. We, we put a seed in the ground. We covered it up. And then we were like, yeah, church, God. And everybody's like, no, where is it? Nothing's happening. I'm like, I don't know. I guess we got to just pray and wait and see what happens. That's church planting right there. They call it church planting. Okay. And so we were on a journey. We were on a journey. We didn't know who we were. I told that original group, I said, I said, this was like vision, vision day. You know, I was like, I don't know what this church is supposed to be. Isn't that a great vision? How many of you would have stuck around for that? Well, yeah, sounds, sounds good. I said, I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it's this. And it was just a group of friends who loved Jesus and wanted to make disciples, live under the authority of Scripture, follow the Holy Spirit. And that name resonance meant we just want to resonate with the Holy Spirit, what he's doing in the earth. That's all we know. That's all we knew. And in some ways, that's still all we know. (laughs) We just want to resonate with God. Resonance means whenever you get in tune with something, you're so in tune that that thing gets amplified and intensified in your life. So we want to get in tune with God and amplify and intensify him in the earth. Yeah, sounds cool, but we really didn't know what it meant. (laughs) And then on our journey, we had some key moments where God just began to show us who he was and who we were there for. And a lot of that was a big deal had to do with the Holy Spirit. A few years in, we we had some powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit through Open Heaven Deliverance Ministry. Um, my wife and I had a powerful experience. We br- took about 100 of our leaders through it back, this back in 2016. A whole lot of awesome deliverance, supernatural experiences, impartations, fillings of the Spirit were taking place. It was amazing. And then, you know, you read the Bible after that, and you're like, wow, this Holy Spirit thing's a big deal. <laughs> we're supposed to eagerly desire the greater gifts. Uh, we're supposed to not forbid speaking in tongues and not treat prophecy with contempt, but to test it, which means we got to share it. Wow, we're not doing any of this. <laughs> we're off track. And we need to start doing this. We need to grow in this, right? And that's been the journey we've been on. And, uh, and God started giving us a heads up. Um, a few years ago, I'll tell more of this story on July 3rd, that, uh, that a shift was coming, a change was coming. And really what was happening is we were discovering our true identity as a church. Like, this is who we are, right? And God's fully revealed that. Um, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, in January 2021, um, I had a day, I was, it was a day where I was struggling big time with church leadership. It was a very difficult, the most difficult season I've ever been through. And I couldn't sleep that night. I was coming into the office at like three in the morning and I was begging God, like, you need to speak to me today. I was getting, you know, you better speak to me today. One of those types of things. I was like, none of this, like, I think that was God, but like, 
Oh, that was, that was God. I need that today. And I'll tell you more of the details on July 3rd, but God spoke to me. And basically what he spoke to me is, you're changing the name of your church. And I was like, what? <laughs> that don't make no sense. That is not going to help me with this stuff right here that I need to deal with. In fact, it just felt like more work. You know how much work it is to change the name of a church that's already been started and going for seven, eight years? You got to change bank accounts, emails, signs, all the stuff. You got to change your name legally. It's a big old process. You got to get new logo, branding, blah, 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 blah. And I honestly, for that reason, I was like, I've already got a lot of work. I don't want more work. And I was kind of a little frustrated by this. And I sat on it for a few months. And I ended up telling our staff and leadership team, because I, I felt like it was the Lord. I said, pray into this with me. So we all started praying, thinking about it for a few months. Then we had a day last July where we were like, this is it. We're deciding. You know, let's talk about what we've all thought and discerned. There were prophetic words shared. Lots of things shared that day. And just confirmed, like, this is what God wants us to do. And I had lunch with a friend of mine who's a pastor who doesn't go to this church. I was just a mentor of mine. I was talking to him, and I was like, man, I feel like God's telling us to do this. And I'm just be honest with you, I really don't want to. <laughs> I was like, this is like, feels like a distraction. It's like the last thing I want to do. And I said this, I mean, what's in a name? What's in a name? A rose by any other name still smells sweet, right? I don't care what you call this as long as we're faithful, as long as we are who God says we are. And he goes, I, I see what you're saying. And yeah, I, in one sense, what's in a name? Except God changed people's names in scripture. And their new name was prophetic. It was their true identity, and they were, they were going to live into it. So maybe it's not important unless it's your true identity, and it's prophetic for your church's journey, and you're going to live into it. If, if that's the case, then it's very important. And I just had this sobering realization, and I was like, you're right. And I thought, we are supposed to do this. And so, as I said, our team confirmed that, and we started the process, which has been arduous of just the, the, the practical things, and we finally have reached a point where we're ready, ready to do this. And there's been so many other prophetic words that have confirmed this, and I'll probably share more of them on, on July 3rd. Uh, but on July 3rd, therefore, we are going to change the name of our church, and I'm really excited about it. And it's going to be a big day. It's going to be a big day in the history of our church. So who is so excited that you want to know what the new name is? Anybody? Yeah. Yes. You ready? You got to come back July 3rd. <laughs> so, man, I've always wanted to do that. Cliffhanger. It's going to be a big day. Invite family and friends. It's going to be a beautiful day. Our church was born on April 6, 2014, and we're going to be reborn on July 3rd of 2022. And I want to close with this story and just prophesy a little bit into our journey. We, when we, we recently bought land that God promised us, which came out of nowhere last fall. And it was a process of getting surveys done and all this stuff took longer than we thought. Of course, it always does. And we didn't determine the signing day to sign the papers. The, the bank did all that. And they said, hey, it's going to be this day. And guess what day it was? It was April 6th of 2022. It was, it was our original first birthday. 
of our church. And we, God's just like, confirmation. One of those sacred echoes. I'm in this. So we sent in the paperwork to the state to get our name changed. It's one of those doing business as types things. And, uh, and so we got the paperwork back um, a few months ago. And uh, do you know what the date? It says effective date. And they just do it immediately. Do you know what the date was? It was March 4th, 2022. Now that's the only day of the year that's a command from the Lord. March 4th. <laughs> it's also my birthday, which is why I know that joke. And when I saw that paperwork, I got very emotional. Because it's been a very difficult season the last few years. And then God threw this in the mix. And I was like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing? And the Lord has been saying that, you know, COVID's like, we're like, Resident Church is like a caterpillar for about seven years. And during the COVID season, we came into a cocoon. And he says, when you come out, you're not going to be a caterpillar anymore. You're going to be a butterfly. There's a transformation taking place. It's who we were always meant to be, but it's going to look and feel a little different. And I want to encourage you, we're already living it. We've already stepped into, we're already living our new identity as a church. So I don't want you to worry. We're going to change our name and start changing a bunch of stuff. We're, we're already living it. We're just putting the name on who we really are. And so I'm super, super excited about it. God confirmed it in both those ways. And it's the year 2022. The biblical number two is the number of division, but it's also the number of covenant. Division, separating into two groups. Covenant, two coming together. It's 2022. It's, it's a year of the double covenant. And so we bought our land on our first birthday. We changed our name and confirmed it on, on my birthday. And God was telling me, like, I'm still with you. You're still called. You are leading this church into the new season into this new name. This is all of me. He was confirming all that. And I didn't fully realize it until this past week on Tuesday night. Tuesday night, I had a wedding, midweek wedding. And we were doing the rehearsal. And I was walking them through the rehearsal. And I said, you know, then at the end, I'll say, I now present to you, Mr. and Mrs. And I said the names. And the bride laughed and she goes, again. (laughs) And I was like, what? And she goes, we're already married, remember? And I go, oh, yeah, that's funny. And it hit me. See, this couple was one of two couples this past fall that came to me in church randomly on their own. They didn't know each other. They came on different weeks. And they said, hey, we've been coming to church here. We've been growing in God. And here's the thing. Like, like we're not married and we live together. And we know that God doesn't approve of that. So we want to make it right. We want to honor God. And we, how do we do that? I was kind of like, well, you got like two choices. You can move out or like I could just like legally marry you now. And then you could just do the wedding next year as like a celebration confirmation, you know. And they're like both couples came to me on different weeks within about a month of each other. And they said, "Okay, we'll think about it. And that's all I heard. I was like, all right, it's fine. About a month or so later, one of them comes back. They said, hey, and this is between services on a Sunday. Hey, you remember how you said get your marriage license and you can marry us now? I was like, yeah, they're like, we got it. Do you mind doing it? I was like, now? They're like, yeah. I was like, I got five minutes. They're like, okay. I was like, hold hands. I was like, do you promise to love each other and always be faithful? Yes. All right, let me pray for you. Pray for him. 
congratulations, you're married. Sign the thing. Here you go. See you next year at your wedding. Okay, cool. A few weeks later, I kid you not, the second couple comes up between services on a Sunday. Hey, remember how you told us that if we got the thing, you could like sign it and we'd be like legally married and be like right with God and he would really like honor us for that. Yeah, we got it. You mind doing it right now? (laughs) I was like, I got five minutes. (laughs) Hold hands. Promise to love each other, always be faithful. Yep, let me pray for you. Pray for him. Sign the thing. Congratulations, you're married. All right, awesome. I did the first wedding at the beginning of May of this year. I did the second wedding this past week. And on Tuesday night, I said, I'll present you. And the wife goes, the bride goes again. And God hit me. Double covenant. Double blessing. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me to set the captives free. Preach the good news of the poor, right? You read on down there. It says, instead of my shame, I will receive a double portion. And here's the word for our church. And this is a word for the church in the world that there's been a sifting through COVID. There's so much division. Why? Because God is like, you have to choose. Are you going to settle in a Haran Christianity that's really only halfway that agrees with all the strongholds of the world? Or are you going fullness, all in? Are you getting off the fence like Pastor Jamie talked about last week? Holy consecrated to Jesus. And for the ones who refuse to resign in this season that's so difficult but instead re-sign up god's gonna affirm his covenant to you again double covenant and there's going to be a double blessing a double portion when we went to a conference a few months ago they did an impartation time and i've told the story you've probably heard it where i just got massively wrecked and blessed in the holy spirit right? Shook and spoke in tongues for like about seven days in a row. I was speaking in tongues in my sleep. It was crazy. I dreamed, I dreamt my Easter sermon that I preached this past Easter. I dreamt it, all the notes and everything. And I woke up and was like, that was good. Wow. I wrote it down. I'm like, I'll preach that. This this is Easter. It happened in that week. It was crazy. When they went to do that prayer time, the Lord says two things. You've spoken tongues a little. I'd had a few prophetic words in tongues. Very little. He said, you're about to have a whole river coming out of you. I was like, okay, don't know what that means, but all right. And then he said, and you're going to receive a double portion. And when they're praying over people, the main leader came by and he prayed over me and I really felt the Lord's presence. It was really conviction and holiness, the fire of God, consecration, setting apart. It was, it was a sobering moment. I got on my knees. It was, it was big. I got up. I was like, okay, whew, that was intense. Went back to my seat, which was on the other side. And next thing I know, he starts walking around the auditorium. Same guy walks down the other side, or the same side I was sitting on. He's coming right at me again. I look up, and the Lord said, double portion, double blessing. And he prayed over me again. And after that time, I was like, whoa. I just really felt the Lord. And I saw my wife, people praying over her. I went to pray over my wife. I said, I'm going to go pray over my wife. And I was, I was shaking. I was, felt like I was on fire, my whole body. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I was crying. I went to pray over my wife in English. And what came out wasn't English for about seven days. So interesting, isn't it? Double covenant, double blessing. And so I just want to close with this. If you're here today 
and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you haven't been walking with Jesus, he's calling you back today. And I don't care who you've been. I don't care if you've been a Jacob, a deceiver, liar, an adulterer, an addict. doesn't matter. If you will resign your life to him, if you will let God prevail over you, he will affirm his covenant with you. He'll make you into an Israel. You know what Israel means? Overcomer. The name literally means let God prevail. You prevail in life when you let God prevail over you. When you let God overcome you, you become an overcomer. And that's what he was saying to Jacob. We've wrestled all night. And I'm not going to take over without your consent, but I'm going to pop your hip out just to let you know I could. I am Lord. That's what he was doing. And finally, after all night, Jacob, strong-willed Jacob, goes, fine. But I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I've made it too far. I've been wrestling with you for 20 years. I've been fighting against people. I've been trying to do the right thing. I've been trying to get where you got me to go. And I'm not giving up now. And the Lord's like, I like that. What's your name again? Yeah, that's not your name. So whoever you've been, Jesus has an invitation for you. And we're just going to close in prayer, and I'm going to invite you to come up. If you want prayer, if you want to give your life to Jesus, recommit your life to Jesus, if you want to receive a, a double portion blessing to make this stage an altar as we close. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll do that. God, I just thank you for your presence here today. What a day it's been. We love you, Lord. You've moved so powerfully already. So many miracles have been done already. Healings and deliverance already. Freedom in this place. Thank you, Lord. So I just thank you. And I pray right now that we would all resign ourselves to you, your lordship, that we would let you prevail in leading us. And we thank you for what you're doing in our church, God. I pray that those that surrender to you again today, or maybe for the first time, that you would just pour out a double portion of your spirit, a double blessing on them. In Jesus' name, everybody said